God is good. All the time. So good to see each and every one of you. Tuesday afternoon Bible study. My name is Michael Beneshek. I'm uh, one of your warm heart pastors here. If you're joining us online for the first time, hi, welcome to you. Trying something different today. Does something look different than usual? <laughs> we got a few things going on, yeah. Uh, got, got round tables. And uh, do you know why we're using round tables? Because they're lighter than the other ones. Um, our, our maintenance guy is, uh, is out for a day uh, with, with some back issues. And so uh, this got the phone call this morning, so I just used these tables. And we're going to get uh, um, on the eight-footers, the big old ones made of lead that we have. Uh, we got new ones coming in this week. So hopefully by next, next Sunday, we'll have some of the lighter and actually more sturdier tables uh, uh, to share. And a podium. So last week I used a, a music stand, and uh, more than one person has said, it was nice to see you stand and, and move around a bit. And uh, I, I paid attention more than I usually do. I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll take that as a positive spin on that. Uh, so I wanna, I'm going to try a podium today. Um, they used this podium at annual conference uh, a couple weeks ago, and someone said, your, your dove, you know, the dove that you have looks very not dovish. <laughs> So it's, it's an eagle, it's, it's, and it's got the constitution. Uh, I know it's a church. This is a, uh, a Boy Scout podium. Someone built one of this, uh, one of these for their Boy Scout project, and they're using it in their room, and they use it on uh, Tuesday nights. Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday nights. They use it on Thursday nights. Uh, and we're not telling them that we're going to use it. So, so if you're watching online, this is, shh, don't tell anyone that we're using the Boy Scout podium. Well, let's be, a, let's be a people of prayer. God above you, you have numbered the hairs on our head. You have numbered our days. And Lord, we ask that you fill these days with joy and with peace. As we read your word, help us to grow as disciples so that the days that we do have numbered are just filled with, with a life worth living and a life of blessing. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 14 is where we are. We are in the middle of Jesus' discourse. Uh, he started his speech at the Last Supper, and it's going to continue through the Garden of Gethsemane. We have this for several chapters. Uh, so last chapter was, was a Lord's Supper and, and discourse, and today is just full of discourse as, as the disciples try to figure out what Jesus is, is doing. Because he says, I'm going to leave you. And they're not quite sure what that means quite yet. So that's all John chapter 14 is for us today. As are Jesus' words. If you have those red letter Bibles, this is just all red. And it's some of the most comforting words that we have. Uh, when we read this, you might, you might think, wait a minute. Pastor Mike, don't you use this a lot in your funeral sermons? Yes, you're going to hear a lot of that language in here today. But it's not only for those times of distress, it's also for times of need and for times of uncertainty. So let's, uh, we're going to break this up a little bit. Let's do verses 1 through 4. Can uh, someone, uh, someone read 1 through 4? That, just that first paragraph. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Like I said, funeral liturgy throughout, right? Yeah. Jesus never wanted us to have a life without trouble. But he wanted us to have a heart that was not troubled. He promised that we could have an untroubled heart even in a troubled life. Uh, this was in, sense, in some sense a command. Uh, the, the way the Greek is in this, there's an imperative in the form that implies, uh, don't, <laughs> maybe a better way to translate it, but it doesn't flow off the tongue well, is stop being troubled. That's the imperative. Knock it off. Stop being troubled. Uh, maybe set your heart at ease would be a good translation. Uh, 
his disciples felt like his departure was going to be torture. What are we going to do without the teacher, without the rabbi? And it was then he consoled them with such simple and, and glorious words that uh, someone once said that all Christians dumb is a debtor to their, to their agony. Because they were troubled, we get this whole, whole line of speech. Instead of giving into a troubled heart, Jesus told them to firmly just put their trust in God and in Jesus. Believe in God, believe also in me. A radical call to trust in Jesus as just, just as one would trust in God the Father. Just trust me. Did, you, did, your, did your mom or dad ever, ever say that to you when you didn't know what they were doing? Did you ever say that to your own kids? Just trust me. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a method to my madness. Just, just, just listen. Um, Jesus' solution to all this is not, it's not a recipe. This is what you're supposed to do, but it's more about of a relationship with him. As long as the relationship is there, you'll know what to do or we'll find our, find our way through. Uh, more funeral language in my father's house. There are many mansions. Uh, the, the joke that you probably heard me say this too many times is I'm glad there's many rooms up in heaven. There's other people I do not want a room with up there. Jesus spoke with complete confidence about heaven. Here's spoken about the father's house. Jesus had no wonders about life beyond this earth, for that's where he came from. He knew it, and he told his disciples, there is room for all. Many mansions. There's a mansion for you, and a mansion for you. Hopefully, you'll be sharing mansions. Mansion for you, right? Mansion for you. I don't know what it's going to look like, but Jesus put it in words that we would understand. Uh, some, Bible call, uh, some Bible translations say many dwelling places. Uh, Jesus could see what the disciples never could, just millions and millions of houses, of dwelling places, of mansions. There is a place for us all. Love prepares a welcome. I go to prepare a place for you. When you know that company's coming, what do you do? Clean house, get it ready. Yep, put, put your best foot forward. Uh, Jesus goes to prepare a place for you. And if, if, if God can make everything on earth in six days, all the beauty that we have here, imagine what he can make in all of eternity preparing a place for you. Um, did anyone, anyone ever read the book Peter Pan or just see the Disney movie? Disney movie, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the book, James Barry uh, wrote Peter Pan. Uh, one of his books was about his mom, uh, Margaret, who grew up in Scotland. The mom endured a lot of misery in her life, including the tragic death of one of her sons. And according to uh, uh, James, uh, the guy who wrote Peter Pan, uh, his mom's favorite Bible chapter was John chapter 14. She read it so much that when her Bible was opened and it set down, then the pages just naturally opened uh, to, this, to this chapter. And when she was old and could no longer read the words, she had her Bible still there and she would just pick it up and kiss the, the, the pages of chapter 14. There's a mansion. For me, for my family, there's a place for all of us. Uh, Jesus says, I go, I go. Uh, he wasn't taken to the cross. He went there. Uh, they thought that his death was an unforeseen calamity, and Christ taught them that this path is his own, was, was of his own planning. I will come again, receive you to myself. Jesus promised to come again for the disciples, not only past the resurrection or the coming of the Holy Spirit, but he's actually going to come back and, uh, and see uh, his disciples, and then we'll get later on the whole, you know, I'll believe you when I see you, when I can touch the, the hands, uh, touch the side. That where I am, there you may be also. The entire focus of heaven is being united with Jesus. Heaven is not heaven because it has streets of gold or pearly gates or even the presence of angels, but it's the presence of, of Jesus being there. If heaven is anything. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. Some of your happiest moments, if I had to guess, some of your happiest moments had to do when you were in relationship with someone. 
the relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents. Everything, everything that brings us joy revolves around some form of relationship. Yes, there's times that we like to be alone and do our own things, but some of our, our most joy that puts the most uh, love in our hearts is when we're around people. Some of the most hurtful times we have in our life is when relationships are broken or when we feel utterly alone. When someone that we love dies, it just breaks the heart. When someone we love breaks up with us, I tell my wife, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. But the biggest pains that you have in life are when the kids say, I hate you, or something like that. That's, that's yeah, if they'll listen, yeah. Um, but for us, heaven is all about relationship. Uh, Jesus calls it a party, a celebration, a dinner, a banquet, uh, many houses, many, many places for, for everyone. Other, other religions have, have their go-to place uh, different. Hey, heaven is whatever it is that you want it to be. And you get your own little world or whatever, your own little place. That's not relationship. Um, nirvana, if you ever heard that term. Nirvana means nothingness. That when we die, we go off into nothing. We disappear, which means no more pain, no more suffering, but also no more joy or goodness. For us, it's about relationship. All right, let's jump ahead. Verses 5 through 14, the rest of that page. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Lord, we have no idea where you're going. Thomas should be praised for honestly and clearly explaining his confusion. Because Thomas is one of those guys that he speaks up when no one else will. Jesus says something out of the ordinary and everyone just kind of nods their head. And Thomas, we don't, ex we don't understand. You have to explain it to us differently. There's a couple of places where Thomas has that sort of uh, uh, role within the disciples. Uh, through a necessity of human language, Jesus speaks of going away, uh, going to the Father, um, in terms that have no spacious, spatial or material significance. I am the way and the truth and the life, more funeral language. Uh, Jesus did not show, say that he would show us a way. He is the way. He didn't promise to teach us a truth. He is the truth. He didn't offer us the secrets to life. He said that he is the life. If I'm wandering about and I don't know where I'm going, Jesus is the way. And if I'm confused and I don't know what to think, Jesus is the truth. And if I'm dead inside and if I don't know if I can go on, Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a touchy subject. Who gets saved? Do Christians get saved? Do Jews get saved? Do Muslims, do people who believe maybe in, in their life, but maybe not in their hearts, who, who, gets, who gets saved in this life? Here it says, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
How did you respond to the grace that was given to you? But Pastor Mike, Christianity is bigoted. <laughs> Certainly there are some who claim that Christians are, in fact, uh, it's, it's us and nobody else. But I, I love how biblical Christianity is also one of the most pluralistic, tolerant, and embracing of other cultures and religions on, on earth. That's what we used to be anyway. Who can be a Christian? Do you, have to be, do you have to be of a certain race, or can you be any race? Any race. Do you have to speak a certain language, or can you speak any language? Any language. Can you be a male, female, or by God, any gender in between nowadays? Yeah. Any. Boy, the world's changing. A Christian can keep their native language. They can keep their native culture. And if they follow Jesus in the midst of it, they're going to be okay. Pastor Mike, do you believe in hell? I, I live like there is one. But I also believe that hell is the absence of, of, of relationships. Like I said, some of them, you know, heaven, total relationship, hell, none. We always think of the fiery pit and, and, and the sulfur and the burning. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're there with other folk, it might not be, it's going to be bad, but imagine just being utterly alone for all eternity. That would, that would drive you mad. God, I don't need you. God, I don't need you. God, I don't need you. Death. And God says, you get your wish. Ouch. Get your, make your reservations before you get to that point. Is uh, the best advice I can go. And I do believe, and I do believe that when we get to heaven, I believe the table's bigger than what we imagine. Who gets to go to heaven? I don't know. I leave that up to God. But I'm going to follow Jesus because Jesus is the image of who God is. And try to have that love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. I'm not perfect, but hopefully every day I'm getting better. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. You want to know who God is? Look at Christ. Spitting image of his dad. That's what this whole whole kind of section and passage is. I do the works that my, that my Father has, has given me for. We can take comfort in knowing that even as Jesus prepares a place for us, Jesus also prepares us for that place. He who has seen me has seen the Father. No image or likeness can adequately depict God. We always think, uh, what's, what's that second commandment? Thou shalt not make something. Uh, we shall not make graven images. We can't put God in a box or in a rock or in a thing or in a place. Or a what? Or in gravy. Sure, why not? But we can put him, we could put him in Christ. Fun fact, Ten Commandments. How many commandments are there of the big ones? Ten. The Catholics have their ten. We Protestants have a different ten. Did you know that they're different? Ooh. They were the the, the language is, is 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 all in there because they use the same Exodus that we use. Uh, but nowhere in there does it say the first commandment this, the second commandment this. There's just a list. And where you draw that line and where you think the commandments go, that's, that's, that's where you draw the line. Uh, the one that they don't have, if they would bullet point the Ten Commandments, they don't have the one about graven images. My grandma, woe Catholic, Shiite Catholic, has had the Ten Commandments up here. Uh, and no graven images. The Lord's name in vain, that was up there for sure. Uh, but they split out nine and ten, our nine and ten. Let me backtrack. They, they take our ten... Thou shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's stuff, all, all that jazz. Uh, their nine and ten to make ten is thou shall not covet your neighbor's stuff, more poetically said, and thou shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So that's how they get ten. They break that one up. But they take out the graven images. Protestants, we don't like graven images. Uh, 
Catholics love the statues, love the stained glass. In other parts of the world, there's still battles going on as can a church have stained glass windows? Can a church have statues? Uh, iconoclasty is what they call it. Uh, and there are people that go in and they break up, they throw rocks in the windows because they're trying to depict God in stained glass or in, or in statues. Uh, we were starting a church about 15 years ago, and little Christian was about this tall. And we were going door to door, passing out pamphlets about our new church. And uh, if, you know, if I ring the doorbell, they may or may not answer the door. But if a three-year-old knocks on the door, they're going to answer the door. <laughs> and so we're, he, he, he was out front knocking on the doors, and my wife and Gabe in a, in a, in a mm, scroller, and we were just passing out pamphlets. We weren't trying to save anyone like that. We just, hey, we're starting a church at the elementary school. Check it out. Uh, but he, he runs around the corner of one house. Uh, we lose track of him for a second by the, you know, around the garage. And we pull around, and he's ringing the doorbell like this. He's like, And he's standing right next to a four-foot statue of the Virgin Mary. And we're like, stop, stop, lost cause. We okay, the, hi, hi, here's a pamphlet. I know, we're Methodist, Catholic light. Come, come on by, check us out. It, it, it seems to me we sometimes lose the context of this uh, I am the way, the truth, and the light in that Jesus has also said I and the Father are one. So... You know, you, you, it's like there's some mental gymnastics to get into here because God is the way to Jesus and Jesus is the way to God and they're all the same. And But then if we want to get into an argument with some certain groups, uh, we can cite these passages, but it's like, I don't know. It's, uh, at the end of the day, it's still kind of confusing how that all works. Just wait till we get the Holy Spirit involved. And then we got three in one. Yeah. And one in three. The way I like to tell the confirmation kids is, uh, uh, I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm all three, wrapped in one, just known differently in different ways. But they are, they are distinct. Jesus is distinct from God, who's distinct from the Holy Spirit, but they are they're of the same essence, of the same same stuff, if you will. <laughs> so I'm reluctant to move into this uh, subject because there seems to be two camps within Christianity as the description of the, tri the triad, the, the Father, the Jesus Christ, and uh, the Holy Ghost. In one camp, it's the Trinity based off of the Nicene Creed, three in one, that... Uh, is, um, I think, the, what the Methodist Church believes. And I think that's the most popular one. The other is there are three distinct personages, but they are one in a perfect purpose, all doing the same thing. Um, you know, and... Uh, that particular second camp that I'm describing tends to go fit a better, little better. Better in this passage, yeah. In, in well, in the, all of the passages, when Jesus has always said, I do nothing but what the Father does, and, and in these passages, passages, and in the future, he's saying that, you know, praise to his Father that we would be one, and his disciples be one. That's all a symbolic meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I'm always a little confused, I guess, as to how you rationalize, or not rationalize, that's a bad word, um, how you relate to the, the God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, being all one, yet they can pray to each other, they can talk, they have their own roles, that kind of thing. Could you help me comment on how that is rectified or how, that is, how you deal with that? Sure. It, so 
if you know the Nicene Creed, the first creed that, that was popular with the um, Christian folk, uh, we call it the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, da, 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 and in Jesus Christ his Son, or if you know the Apostles' Creed. And, and, and there it talks about the um, three distinct uh, personalities, but all with the same mission, the same purpose, the same, the, 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 the same essence in some way. Fast forward a couple of hundred years, uh, you have all these churches running around uh, that were started by Peter. Some churches was Paul, Apollos, Cleopas, a whole bunch of churches that were, that were doing its own thing. And the leaders in the areas got together and says, we, we got we to gotta fix this. We got to figure out what it is that we believe because these churches over here are going this way. These churches are going this way. And we all have different scriptures. So they had a, they had a big council. And I would have to look up to see uh, the year, but think 300, 400. Um, in Nicaea, where all the bishops got together. And uh, first they figured out which books of the Bible they were going to use. We're not going to use the, uh, the gospel according to Thomas or the gospel according to Mary. We're going to vote on, there's, there's hundreds of gospels, but they, they settled on four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Revelation made it by one vote into the Bible. Uh, yeah, they voted on these and a whole bunch of scriptures that did not. But one big thing that came out of the, uh, of the Nicene uh, Council was the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed is a much more elaborate Apostles' Creed. Um, we, we run through all the creeds in a cycle here at church, and so, uh, there's about eight or nine that we go through that, that, that are in the back of our hymnal. Um, I, don't, I don't look at them to see if they match up with the sermon or not. They just got them on a... We're doing 801 today, 802 tomorrow, 803. Apostles' Creed is somewhere in the, in the, in the early 800s and uh, in the hymnal, number-wise. Nicene Creed comes a little later. Uh, the Nicene Creed is the long one. If you're ever up there and you're like, man, this one's taking a long time, it's the Nicene Creed. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to encapsulate all the different ideas about what we believe about Christianity. And it's in the Nicene Creed that it takes the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Nicene Creed tries to sew them all together, which is why I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get back to your question through this. Uh, it sews them all together, and it talks about the one and three, the three and one. Uh, they're, all, they're all together. The big fight that took place at the Nicene Creed was about the personhood of Jesus. Was he a reflection of God, or was he God? And the difference in the Greek, or the actually it was Latin, the difference in the Latin between the word reflection and, and the same stuff is like, it's a very long word, and I can't remember what it is because I don't speak Latin, but there was, the difference is one vowel changes. And they said, uh, I, I've read where there has never been a, another fight so big over, over one vowel. Is he, the, is, he, is he Christ? Like, is he God? Or was he just someone wise talking about God who happened to die and somehow did miracles? And what they, what they got to is, is the very confusing place where he is God. But then that opens up a whole nother, like, well, how does that work then? Uh, was, was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit just hanging around together at creation? And God made everything, and Jesus says, wow, that looks really neat. And the Holy Spirit said, good job. Can I get some lines in the Bible? No? Okay, I'm just a ghost. All right, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> where they're always together. And, and they cheat on this, but it's the best answer they have, and they call it the mystery of the Trinity. They don't, they don't know how it works either. And I don't know how it works. But I believe that Jesus is the essence of God. Fully God, fully human. So there's a part of him that was always, always with God, and the Holy Spirit is always with God, but they all have distinct roles, but yet together. So if that sounds confusing, it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a mystery. But the Holy Spirit is the, is the part of God that, and maybe it is only one God. 
wrapped up in different ways. But it's maybe it's how we perceive what's going on in, uh, in the spiritual realm, if you will. The part of God that speaks to me is the Holy Spirit. The guidances that we, that we face sometimes in life. I always think of God the Father as the one up, up above. You, you can think of him, uh, I say him because we think of, you know, male. Uh, think of God, however you want to think of God, but the creator God, the God that is un... I was growing up, and if I had emotional stuff to talk about, I would talk to mom. If I had something that needed fixed, I talked to dad. <laughs> Parents, you know, I come from, from I, I have their blood in me, but they have different roles. At least they had different roles in our family. It might be different for you. We would get in trouble with mom. And she'd say, wait till your dad gets home. Because guess who was the judge? And our family was dead. My wife and I, we try to have uh, the same, same, same rights, same responsibilities. It sometimes works. It sometimes doesn't work. Uh, but I've noticed that the kids, when they have issues, they talk to mom. And when they have something they need done or need help with school, they, they talk to dad. And it'll be different, you know, when the next generation comes. Uh, but I always think of God as the one who fixes stuff, the one who creates, the one who is, he is so holy that I can't touch and we get passages in the Old Testament where you can't even look at God without dying. Somehow Moses pulled it off in a, in a, in a cleft. And he came back all white-haired and, and all Charlton Heston, right, with his, his face. Uh, but Jesus Christ is the one that we can approach. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter that keeps us going. It's still a mystery to me. But that's, that's, that's what I believe. I don't know if that helps at all, but that's, yep. But it's a, it's a cheap, cheap answer. It's a mystery. It's something we don't know. Uh, sorry, Mike. Uh, that wasn't hard enough. Um, <clears throat> Give, yeah. You're a pastor. Let's, you know some of this. Let's, uh, let's look at 13 and 14. This is what I like to call the uh, two boats in a helicopter verse. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Tell me the joke about the helicopters. Because I know the joke, but well, this is my softball pitch to you. Tell your joke. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, if you ask for it, you're going to get it, right? And so uh, there was a guy, and there was flooding, and... Uh, he has to get on the second floor of his house because there's flooding. And uh, some rescuers come by in a, in a uh, boat and say, come get in. You know, we're, we're, we'll take you away and, and rescue you. And he said, no, I'm a Christian. I believe if I pray, I'll, I'll, I'll be rescued. And uh, then uh, the flooding goes even further. He gets up on the roof of the house and uh, uh, a canoe comes by and they say, get in, we're going to, we'll get you out of here. And, and he says, no, I'm a Christian. I prayed and uh, God's going to take care of me. And uh, uh, finally, he's up on the very chimney and uh, a helicopter comes by and they're going to lower a guy down. He waves him off. He said, no, I prayed. And the guy uh, drowns. And he gets to heaven and he says, St. Peter, I, I, I want to refer to John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, where it says, you know, if I ask, you're going to give it to me. And Peter says, I gave you two boats and a helicopter. Boom, boom. If, I pray, if I pray for a bike, I may or may not get a bike. If I pray to live through this whatever health thing I got, it may or may not happen. But if I pray for the right things, and again, this seems like the cop-out. If I pray for the right things, it says, uh, I will do whatever you, 
whatever you ask in my name, so that, so that, we, whatever we pray for, can we pray it in the name of the Son so that God may be glorified? If I pray for a bike, does God get glorified? Doesn't sound like it. If I pray to win the lottery, no. But I'll don't. I'll tithe. I'll tithe. You know what? If you pray for spiritual benefits, they come. When I pray for peace, it comes. When I pray for patience, it takes a long time, but it comes. If I pray to have a generous heart, it comes. When I pray for forgiveness, it comes. When I pray for the things that I can pray in Jesus' name without Jesus going, really? That's, what, that's, that's the prayer? It's, 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 it's not a blank check, but it's an endorsement, if you will. We come to God in Jesus' name, not our own name. The test of any prayer is this. Can I make it in the name of Jesus? For instance, I, I could pray for personal re revenge, for personal ambition. But to ask in his name argues that we have a unity of mind about what God wants to do in the world. We're going to talk a lot about this in, uh, on Sunday. Oh, Mary's first. Uh, Sunday. Uh, all hail the power of Jesus' name is the hymn that we're going to hit on Sunday, in case you're curious. When I pray for others or myself for health reasons or whatever, I always ask, thy will be done. And even if that illness is not cured for someone that I'm praying for, even those that pass, to me, sometimes that's still a blessing because living here with their illness can sometimes be a lot worse than getting to go on to heaven and have it over with. So I, I always say, thy will be done. Steph and I got married. And uh, we said, you know, once, once you get married, three days later, your parents ask where the grandkids are. And uh, we said five years, five years. We got, give us five years. Uh, I'm doing youth work. My wife's doing a brand new teacher. Five years. And then, you know, her, her period's late. And like two weeks late. And we're having that moment of like a uh, freak out. And I remember praying, oh, Lord, <laughs> whatever happens, happens. Thy will be done. But you know our druthers. <laughs> um, and it was just a late period. And da, 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 da. But five years later, we had a kid. Uh, but, it was, but that was part of the prayer. <laughs> like, God, let me tell you what I want to happen here. But at the end of the day, thy will, thy will be done. But you know what we'd like. But you know, we have to remember that the Lord has a plan for each of our lives. And in his plan, when we ask for th those things, if it's not in the plan, we're not going to get it. But if it is his plan for our life, then we will get it. There's a verse in there that says God is sovereign. And I, and I never really fully understood that until I discovered the, the power of prayer. And God's going to do what God's going to do. He wants to know. He wants to know how to bless us and what, you know. If, if, you, if you want something, ask God. Just like my kids. If they want it, ask. You never know. But if it doesn't fit within the family model or the plan or whatever. Yeah. Sammy's like, Dad, I want a bunny. Like, great. That'll be a great thing when you move out to get a bunny. <laughs> Money is not in the, in, the, in the cards for us today. And when we pray, do we pray to Jesus? Do we pray to the Spirit or do we pray to God, uh, the Father? Uh, even Jesus told us to pray to the Father. In the name of the Son. But there are times that I say, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit, in them move. Yeah, Three and one, one and three, it's the mystery. But even Jesus told us to pray to, pray to the Father. Let's jump to uh, the next page, verses 15 to 24. We'll split that in half there, 15 to 24. 
If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our homes with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. If you love me, keep my commands. Just as Jesus demonstrated his remarkable love to his disciples by, by, by washing of the feet and, and, and all the other miracles and signs, he told them what their loving response should be. Keep his commands. Love one another. Do unto others. This is a fair measure of our love for Jesus. For the believer, disobedience is not only the failure of performing or, or a, of performance or a failure of strength, it's, it's more of a failure of love. Those who love God must obey him most joyfully and naturally to say, I really love, love Jesus. I want to get to the orphans. Now, that pop kind of that, that part popped out when, when it was read. Um, Jesus, there's like three assurances in all of this, and the third assurance is, is uh, I will not leave you orphaned. I will come to you. And the disciples feared when Jesus leaves, then this whole discipleship program is over, and we've only been at it for three years. And honestly, this program wasn't finished. It's only just beginning because the, the Holy Spirit is coming. Back then, the disciples of a particular teacher, a rabbi, they would call the rabbi also, they would call him father. And the scholars were called his children. And at his death, uh, the, the, those students, they, they called him orphans. Your teacher is gone. The apostle Paul later wrote, Even though we, we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer thus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We now know Jesus more as a spirit, and that was especially true for Paul, who saw him with a light and the whole road to Damascus story that we have. Paul or Peter had that with James and John up on the mountain at the Transfiguration. Then Judas, oh, I'll, I'll pick on Judas. Judas, not Iscariot. Who is, who is Judas Iscariot? Uh, the betrayer, yeah. So John is very careful to say in this. There's 12 disciples. Two of them are named Judas. Uh, so in a lot of the Gospels, they call him Thaddeus. If you know the, if you've ever heard of the uh, disciple Thaddeus, it's, it's Judas Iscariot, Judas Thaddeus. And Judas Thaddeus is like, can I please go by Thaddeus now? Please get my name off this. Uh, some Bibles still, uh, they take off the end part of his name and they call him Jude. Um, so if you ever heard of St. Jude... That's, that's this guy. Yep. Uh, the hospital. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, let me, let me, uh, here, here's a bit of trivia for the day. Um, Danny Thomas, the, the founder of St. Jude's Children's Hospital, you know them because they run those commercials that tear at your heart, right? Yeah. Uh, 1956, he began raising funds for this. Uh, but he was, he was so broke, he was so poor, um, that he couldn't do anything. And he thought, you know what? I, I need to give my life a higher purpose, a higher calling. And so we got some businessmen in the area that says, what's the most improbable thing we could do? 
health-wise. And they said, you know, childhood cancer, it takes 80% of all kids. It's, it's a lost cause to even try. And he said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make a hospital that's going to work on, on childhood uh, diseases and cancers. We're going to heal kids. It's a lost cause. And they, they looked up in their Bible. And do you know who the patron saint of lost causes is? St. Jude. There actually is a patron saint of lost causes. And St. Jude is that because his name was so associated with Judas that people would be mad. There are ancient manuscripts where people are mad at Judas for having the same name as the betrayer. It's like if people in 1950 Germany had the name Adolf. You get rid of that name, right? Yeah. My name's Jude. Thank you. Oh, the patron saint of lost causes. So uh, that's, that's why St. Jude's has that name, because it's the patron saint of a thing that you can't fix, but we're going to try. Yep. If anyone loves me, they will keep my word. In answering Judas, Jesus repeated the themes from the previous verses. Jesus would be revealed to and among them with love, obedience, union with the Father and the Son. And again, that mystery, because it talks about him in three distinct ways. The Holy Spirit. Oh, you've never heard of the Holy Spirit. It's coming. The advocate is coming. The helper is coming. The Holy Spirit. Uh, every now and then in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a place where the Spirit pops up. And ultra-traditional Christians say, that's not really the Spirit. That's something else with God, because the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Christmas. Or until, until Pentecost. And uh, I think those people are a little oversaved. Yeah, the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. <laughs> Comments or questions? I know we got five minutes to get through one more section. <laughs> All right, let's, let's close it out. 25 to the end. All this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. There's, there's something general in this promise for every believer. The, the Holy Spirit teaches us and brings God's word to our remembrance if we are careful to receive it. And, and he says, I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit so that you may remember everything that I, that I have taught you. You're not going to forget it. The Holy Spirit will help, help remind you. But peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. Again, I use this at my funerals. In one sense, it's a common thing to say at a departure in that culture to wish you peace. Uh, peace in that language. Uh, peace in Hebrew is what? Does anyone know? Shalom. Shalom. Uh, Jesus took this normal goodbye, and he filled it with deeper strength and meaning. Uh, it's not just peace, but my peace. Not just random peace, not just the peace that you think you have, but my peace I leave to you. Uh, we, say, uh, we say goodbye. And uh, that's English, and it's the old, old English. It's, it means God's bye, like a, a God farewell. Good day, God's day. Uh, we just morphed it over the years. Uh, shalom never means the absence of trouble. It just means finding peace in that time of trouble. And, and then here, and it, it probably sticks out now since we were talking about it. Well, Pastor Mike, if they're three and one, one and three, and they're all equal, Jesus just tells me that the Father is greater than I. Which one is it? It's a mystery. I don't know what to do with that, except I believe in the three and one and the one and three, but they are distinct. 
and Jesus was sent into the world to do God's word. Anytime again you see the word world in here, it's not just the random earth, but it's people who are opposed to God, the people who love the darkness. The prince of the world is coming, and if you had to guess who that is, the prince of the world is Satan, uh, the devil, whatever, whatever uh, word that you'd like to call, the adversary, the liar. The opposite of, of peace. And arise, let us go from here. At this point, Jesus and the disciples left the table and slowly made the way toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they did not immediately leave. This, this, this whole discourse takes place after the supper, after Judas Iscariot already left uh, to go betray him. Uh, anyone, anyone who's tried to get a group of a dozen or so to leave a particular place at a particular time knows that it takes more than one brief exhortation to accomplish this. If I were to cheat and look ahead, let's see. What chapter? Oh, there we are. Come, let us leave. And so the, the next chapter, chapter 15, we get into some vine and branches uh, uh, language here. Uh, this is on the way to Gethsemane. It's a very short chapter. Here we have two pages. I think Jacob could probably fit it on one page next time. Uh, but we are, we are still walking toward the cross. And we don't get to the cross until... Let me flip my pages. Flip my pages. Chapter 19. We're only in 14 here, so we got, we got four to five more weeks of, of, uh, of, the, of this whole 24 hours. Go in peace and God bless. We'll see you Sunday.